Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. How the Ukraine-Russia War Changes Everything. This is episode 77 of En Route. Welcome to Enroute, the podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Well, in the early dawn of February 24th, the world changed. That was a time, at least local time in Ukraine, when Russia, missiles from Russia started hitting targets in a number of Ukrainian cities. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, that event that many of us wondered would even take would even come to fruition, happened. And in the days and hours since, the world has witnessed Ukrainians from all walks of life defending their homeland. We've all seen the various pictures. There is the one of an older, an elderly woman telling off a young Russian soldier. There is the voices that you hear of the brave 13 Ukrainian soldiers on an island telling off a Russian naval vessel saying something that I cannot say on this podcast. And those soldiers basically gave their lives in defense of their country. There is a scene of a father saying goodbye to his daughter as they both start to cry with his wife looking on. He's seeing them off, and then he will take up arms to join in the defense of his homeland. In pictures and in stories, we are seeing an entire nation take on one of the biggest armies in the world. Of all the images that we have seen, most of us, I think every one of us, has been captured by the video taken by uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. He uses his smartphone and takes a a video of um, him and a group of men around him. Those men include his chief of staff, the prime minister, and others. And he tells his nation and the world that he's going to stay and fight even though he is Russia's primary target and he could be killed. He represented a nation that was not going to roll over to a dictator's plans. He represented a nation that was going to fight to the last person to defend their land. Today, we're going to talk about this war between Ukraine and Russia and how it is changing everything in our world. Joining me is Andrew Donaldson. He has been on this podcast many times before. He is the host of the Her to Tell podcast. And in this episode, we talk about how this war ends the post-Cold War 
or Cold War order of the last 30 years, and also about the new order that will replace it. And we'll also talk about how Russia will shape this new order with or without President Vladimir Putin, and also the role of the United States in this whole new world. So let's listen to my conversation with Andrew Donaldson. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on on such short notice. This was uh, things are changing really fast, so I'm kind of glad you were able to come on. Uh, anytime, I uh, greatly appreciate you and uh, appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time. And uh, love your work. And I've I've told people before, you're one of those voices I really respect. Even when we disagree on things, I love hashing stuff out with you. Uh, you're on my program. We're on my program. Uh, we rise all boats. And uh, I appreciate you being a friend and a commentator, my friend. You do good work. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's been getting close to about 72 hours since um, the uh, full-scale invasion of Ukraine um, began. Uh, what do you think is the assessment so far? How, are, how would you judge things? Well, it's hard. Let's let's preface this because we 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 don't know more than we know. Mm-hmm. There's what's called fog of war. It's called fog of war for a reason. There's a lot going on. You have Russian misinformation, and the Ukrainians are doing propaganda as well. Let's just be honest about that because they they need the narrative. So everything I'm saying as we sit here, you know, Saturday morning, this is just what we know from afar as well as we try to cover it. So there's a lot of fog of war going on here. Here's what we can divest so far. Russia's losing the propaganda war. Um, they are clearly losing the propaganda war. Uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainians have been masterful in how they've handled media, how they've handled social media, how they've handled the narrative. The bravery of the Ukrainian people and especially the Ukrainian leadership, Zelensky as president, people like uh, Vitaly Kalinchko, who's a uh, heavyweight boxing champion for years, uh, him and his brother. Uh, he's now the mayor of Kiev. He's like, nope, I'm going to the front. I'm fighting. We're going to defend our city. The Ukrainians are giving lie to a lot of the narrative going into this invasion by their guts and grits and courage by just not capitulating, not running, and fighting the Russians tooth and nail. There's a lot of stuff last night um, about, you know, basically guerrilla tactics from the populace because they have to. They don't have a choice. Having said that, obviously the Russians would have liked to have been done by now. I think if Kiev is still standing by Monday, at least nominally not in the Russian control, if not controlled by the Ukrainians, I think you're going to see a massive shift in narrative and a big old hurry. We're already seeing it today. Turkey has now come out against the invasion. Kazakhstan, which is a huge thing that we do not have time to get into, but Kazakhstan is on the verge of becoming a Soviet satellite state again. Mm-hmm. They came out against it today, which just shocked everybody. Um, and China's semi-staying out of it, although financially they they want to leverage this situation to get leverage over Russia and make Russia financially dependent on China. So that's going on. But they're staying out of the military component of it. There's a lot of moving pieces here. But the main thing to focus on is can Ukraine hold up? Um, can the Ukrainian people hold up? Can Zelensky stay alive and stay online so it at least nominally looks like they have control of the country? Because every minute that they hold up against the Russians, we're in a race against time now. Every minute they hold up against Russia, all the wishy-washy Western states will start getting more and more backbone to push back against Putin. Remember, Putin is, we've called him a paper bear before. 
they cannot sustain this. And if the Ukrainians can hold up for a couple more days, the Western people who are scared to death of Vladimir Putin based on reputation, not based on reality, will start to realize, hey, you can punch the bully in the nose. And he really isn't all that strong. And he's really not going to nuke all of Western Europe, God forbid, because he's lost his mind. That's the main thing that we've learned in the last three days. We, we can't get into the play-by-play of it because nobody really knows. Be very careful with the propaganda from both sides. But what we can discern factually, Ukraine's winning the information war, and it's having, a, it's having an effect. All of a sudden, you know, the White House late last night comes out and says, yes, we're going to sanction Vladimir Putin directly. The U.K. and France has been pushing for SWIFT. Everybody was pushing against that, especially the Germans. Now it looks like that might actually happen. People are starting to move off the narrative of, well, we can't do anything because it'll just anger Vladimir Putin. Every minute that the Ukrainians fight, every minute that the Ukrainians hold the Russians off, gives lie to the fact that, yes, you can do stuff against Putin, and we need to stop being afraid of this guy and do something because the choice of not doing anything has been taken off the table. You either stand up and fight him or you give him what he wants. There's no third option anymore. There's one other thing on this, and I know this is a long answer, but I just want to preface everything else we're talking about here. It is very clear we have learned that Vladimir Putin is now in a bunker mentality. Go back to last week. Um, we talked about this on my show, Heard Tell. I've been writing about this. All those bizarre pictures of him at meetings at long tables, and he's on the other side of the room. That bizarre rotunda meeting right before they went and signed the recognition for the for the disputed regions, where he's at the desk, and they're, God, I don't even know, because cameras throw it off 30, 40 feet at least in chairs and holding court in that bizarre... Clearly, Vladimir Putin, something's changed in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always had the mask on. He's, he's, he's able to even be gregarious in public when he wants to be. Remember, there's viral videos of him playing with puppies. You know, there's the propaganda when he's out in the Ural Mountains, you know, fishing and hunting with his shirt off. He knows how to play the game. He's not doing that right now. Um, something has changed in Vladimir Putin. I know there's rumors about his health. I won't speculate on that. I think he's in the bunker mentality. I think he is in in-stage dictatorship dictatorship, which we've always seen. Their circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and they get more and more and more paranoid, and they lose track of the world, and they lose track of the world as it is. I think that's what's happening with Vladimir Putin. It's led him to this disastrous decision to go into Ukraine. We'll talk about that some more. But those are the two dynamics I would focus on that we, like, again, what we know about, because the Russians haven't committed all their forces. They got plenty of stuff in the field. They're going to wreak a lot more havoc. Um, there's a lot more ugly to come. Let's not kid ourselves here, especially if they decide to really try to push massive amounts of troops into these cities. But the Ukrainians are holding up better than we thought. They're winning the propaganda war, which is affecting world opinion and affecting their support. And Vladimir Putin's in a bunker mentality. Uh, so those are the dynamics we need to work on going forward because that's what we know. How important, I mean, we've seen, all seen the kind of the video uh, that uh, President Zelensky put out Um basically with his prime minister cabinet and other officials basically saying, we're staying, um, we're here to fight. How important do you think that video was, not just to the Ukrainian people, but I think to the outside world? It's everything. And two of those videos was him outside walking in front of landmarks in, in Kiev on purpose because the Russians had hacked into Telegram, which is a instant messaging <laughs> service, kind of like Twitter. Um, they had hacked into in the telegram and was trying to fake it like Zelensky had left the country and was telling people to surrender and all that. That's why he's doing that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and today we were just reading reports this morning. Russia has shut off Twitter and Facebook inside of Russia. Now they're losing the information war and that's all coming from Zelensky winning the information war. He he's figured this thing out. God bless him. He's an actor. So you'd think he'd been good at this. He he's figured it out. He's like, I, I am the country. I am Ukraine right now. If I go, this all, this all falls apart people that are fighting an insurgency type thing, when they're defending their own homes, when they're fighting an invader, they got to have something to believe in besides just, okay, why am I holding onto my little piece of ground here against these tanks? They've got to have something bigger. The Ukrainian and, and Vladimir Putin wouldn't completely lie in Ukraine is a newer country. You can argue what is and isn't Ukraine. You can argue about their national identity. What you're discovering is the 30 years of peace and prosperity and the market capitalism. And yes, Ukraine has all kinds of corruption. I know. Comparatively speaking, they've been a free country since the fall of the Soviet Union. You can call Ukraine whatever you want, but they know in their hearts what Ukraine is, and they've decided they're going to fight for it. Mm -hmm. And that is in no small part to people like Zelensky. And there's lots of others because local leaders have to do that. Local municipalities. Heads of family have to decide. We, we've seen over and over again females, female MPs, mothers with their children with Kalashnikov rifles going, never fired a gun in my life. I'm out here practicing because I'm not leaving. I'm going to fight the Russians. That that comes from inspiration. And Zelensky, my God, we're seeing something that is really, really rare in human history. We are seeing, and let's hope it all holds up, we are seeing a man rise to the moment for his country, a man with a lot of spine and backbone because Russia... Think of, I put it this way on Twitter. I'm going to be this blunt about it because we need to be this blunt about it. Vladimir Putin said he's going to denazify, as in the Nazis, and demilitarize Ukraine, which means take away their ability to resist. He is sending the very best of the Russian military to Kiev to kill the elected Jewish leader of Ukraine, which is the country in Europe with the largest European, largest Jewish population. That's the dynamic. Go tell somebody 40 years ago that the Jewish leader of the Ukrainian people was going to be a 44-year-old actor, and he was going to almost single-handedly inspire the country to fight the Russian invasion. That person would think you were nuts, justifiably so. That's what we're watching. This is epic historical stuff if the Ukrainians can pull this off. Zelensky deserves all the credit in the world for it. Uh, His support system and his staff that is helping him, they've got a plan and they're executing it. They're winning the world. They're winning the war of popular opinion against what had been billed as one of the great pop propaganda machines in the world. And they're winning. And again, they don't, we were talking about this on Twitter this morning with a bunch of folks. They don't have to win a war here. They just got to stay in the fight. Russia has to conquer. They have to occupy. They have to win this war. And then they got to win the occupation afterwards. Zelensky and the Ukrainians don't have to win the war. They just got to survive and stay in the field. This is, you know, Vietnam. This is the American Revolution. We didn't. We won like two battles in seven years. Like we didn't win hardly anything. We stayed in the fight until they couldn't fight anymore. That's what Ukraine's got to do here. They've just got to stay in the fight. They've got to fight back with the perception that they're going to run. I think Putin really thought they were just going to cut and run, and hand the country over to him because he's in this bunker mentality. That's proven a lie. They're going to have to really bear in. Um, and now comes the hard part. What are the Russians going to do? Because Putin can't afford to lose. How ugly is this going to get? What is he going to unleash on the Ukrainian people? Because he's not fighting just the military now. This is civilians. Is he going to level cities? Is he going to put tanks in the streets of Kiev? This all goes against what they were trying to do. There, there's a lot of ugly to come, buddy, but here we are. And it's all because of Zelensky's 
I don't want to say all, but if you don't have Zelensky being the inspirational leader, I don't know how much of this you would be getting. Well, there's something interesting. I think there was a picture, and again, as you say, fog of war. Um, I think it was on Twitter. It may have been a Twitter or Telegram, one of the two. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about this, of people trying to find markings on buildings um, that might be a way of indicating where things can, um, Russians can drop bombs or things to that extent. Yeah, there we've known since November, um, President Biden alluded to this, for once our intelligence held up. We've known since November he was going to invade Ukraine. We just didn't know, you know, the specifics in the last couple of weeks. We pretty much knew when he was going to go in. Um, folks like me had hoped it was still brinksmanship. We were wrong. We just covered this um, Friday on our show. Mm -hmm. uh, we were wrong about the brinksmanship. And then we thought if he invaded, he would stick to the already occupied territories um, because they there wouldn't be a lot of fighting involved in that. They would just be Russian troops instead of the separatists, which are actually already Russian troops. But let's not get into all that. Because there wouldn't have really been that much fighting to that. He's just taking over. Um, for them to drive directly on Kiev, their, 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 their military strategy, again, if you just look at a map, it's clear what they're doing. They want a land bridge to Crimea, so they're going right down the river, right down the center of the country. That's where all that Chernobyl nonsense came from. And they drove on Kiev out of Belarus, which we knew that was going to happen because that's the closest distance to two points. Um, so strategy-wise, we know what they want to do. Can they still do it? Yeah, but now they're going to bleed for it, and they're going to have to kill a whole lot of Ukrainian civilians to do it. The narrative's collapsed. He's evil and wicked enough to maintain that. But part of that strategy was they put all their, their special forces, their clandestine forces, they've been in there for weeks preparing for this. The Ukrainians have apparently done a pretty good job of rooting them out because they haven't been very successful. So they do things like that. You know, they have markings. They prelay. You know, they'll go out and prelay areas for bombardment and artillery fire and aerial bombardment. They'll pre-mark everything. You know, they'll go off and the old the old joke about is um, if you've ever sat on a perimeter is like anybody that's walking across your field of vision and they're stepping it off. That's bad because that they're not just taking a walk. They're building coordinates. <laughs> so they come. So you have a lot. So you have your clandestine guys stepping off the city so that they know exactly where to hit things. Apparently it wasn't very effective though because they're not they're not really doing they haven't toppled the government they haven't done this um, I will throw this in there with that because that's the clandestine side of them coming in and marking things up and all that that's all absolutely happening I've told people for years and I know this from firsthand experience because I've been on their aircraft I've been on their transportation movements Russian logistics militarily suck compared to the U.S. they're not good at it they're horrible at it. They don't prioritize logistics over firepower. This has been a problem with the Russian army for 70 years. It's a known flaw, and you're going to see it again here. Again, if the Ukrainians can just stay in the fight, I have high questions whether Russia can sustain their military in a field for any length of time. And I think you've already seen some viral photos of tanks running out of gas and stuff like that. We don't know the veracity of that. But that stuff will start happening because the Russians cannot do logistics to save their life. I don't know if it's a mentality, a cultural thing, whatever. They just suck at it. The IL-76 is a horrible aircraft for logistics. They've already shot two of them down that our people have now confirmed. Um, so the clandestine stuff, yeah, that absolutely happened. Apparently didn't work very good. So now they're going to have to do it their traditional way through sustained arms in the field. I've got a lot of questions whether they can do it or not. Now, they can pour 100,000 troops on top of Ukraine in top of Kiev and take the city with a lot of bloodshed. Can they hold it? No. Here's the nut of all this. Let me just cut to the chase here. Putin can't win in Ukraine. 
He can conquer. He can kill. He can sow chaos. He can do all those things. He can kill Zelensky. He can kill everybody else. It's a matter of how many people he wants to kill and how many bullets he's got to kill them. He can't win in Ukraine because he can't hold it. The insurgency will rise up. The rest of the world is going to cut him off from it. What follows this is going to be bad, whether the Ukrainians hold up or not, because what, what Putin has done here is he has destabilized himself. He has destabilized Russia. He's probably destabilized Belarus because the Belarusian people were already upset about an, uh, Levachenko being illegitimate. Now he's plunged them into war on top of it. We saw like this morning with Kazakhstan, you know, Russia basically had them under control. Are they going to start pushing back now? Did they mess that up? Turkey has come out against Russia, which Ergodin is Lavar that like just likes to make trouble. So, but hey, for for practical purposes, let's use him for this one thing. Fine. Um, he has destabilized everything, and more importantly, he has destabilized himself. And I don't think he realizes yet. He can't win. This is going to hurt him. And it's just a matter of in what way and flavor and how he reacts. I fear he reacts strongly and takes a lot of innocent people with him. But we're going to see. But no, he cannot win here. He's going to lose in the long way, one way or the other. It's just how much of the world's going to burn with him. Where do you think the Russian people factor into this? Because we've seen in city after city in Moscow and St. Petersburg and other parts of Russia, people basically standing up and, and of course, doing it at risk um, uh, to themselves that have basically come out against the war. Um, does, that, does that factor into all of this? Uh, eventually it might, what you're seeing now is pretty piddly. Uh, I know they had reporters, Western reporters, and again, we have to be really careful with the propaganda war here, but they had Western reporters in, in Moscow where they were rounding up the protesters and arresting them almost immediately, but that's Moscow. You know, Russia is a big country. You can't do that everywhere. Um, when they, the, here's the thing we were talking about this with some friends of ours, excuse me. There's parts to this propaganda war that Russia is finding out they can't control in the modern world. Twitter and Facebook, they've shut that down. There's almost no um, Russian news media inside of Russia right now that is doing anything other than the straight propaganda of a patriotic war to protect the homeland kind of stuff. The problem is if the entire rest of the world sees through that, which they're starting to now finally on day three, it's going to start seeping in. The other thing that's going to happen is you can't hide casualties because those people have moms and dads and brothers and sisters. If the body count starts getting high, there's no propaganda in the world that's going to go over top of that. Now, you can play it up as patriotism and whatever, but if the Ukrainians can keep stacking bodies of Russians, that breaks through back home no matter what you do because you can't hide that. If the Russian economy really gets a clamp down, which, you know, that'll take some time, but it's not on real great footing to start with. That will have some effect. But it's not the Russian people that are going to determine this thing. It's the oligarchs that even Vladimir Putin has to answer to. Mm. Does he do something so insane or does he start hurting their bottom line so bad that they decide they got to make a move? That's the question. Um, and you're going to have to go after those oligarchs directly. And I'm going to warn everybody right now, as bad as I want Vladimir Putin out of the way, if I could put a bullet in his head right now, I'd do it. Swear to God, because it would be good for humanity. And I'll answer to God for it on my own time. What comes after Putin's going to be worse. I just want everybody to understand this. The people that put, put Putin in power, if they remove him, it's not because they became good people. It's because it became untenable to their business networks worldwide to keep the money flowing. Vladimir Putin may be the richest man in the world, 
counting the illicit money he has. That all comes from somewhere. The oligarchs that run Russia, we've talked about this before, we got to stop pretending Russia is a normal country. It's not. It's a criminal enterprise with the trappings of a state being run by a group of oligarchs. And the dictator of those oligarchs has been Vladimir Putin, but he answers to people too. If something happens and they actually depose him or get him out of the way or put him out to the docket of retire or whatever form that takes, and there's a lot of rumors about his health now, he don't look right, he doesn't sound right, like something's, something's going on there, I'm not going to speculate. Whatever comes after Putin's going to be worse because that person's going to gain power by going, well, Putin didn't go far enough. Vladimir just didn't understand the dynamics. He wasn't Russian enough. He wasn't national. That's going to be the argument within that group of people. He's like, I'm going to be able to do this so that the money flows, but we can still have the Russian empire we're all dreaming of. That's who's coming next. So again, there's no good win here. The Ukrainian people might beat this people, might beat this back. They're going to have a destroyed country they're going to have to rebuild. But the destabilization, you you had it right in your piece. The world order is over in mm-hmm. Eastern Europe for the foreseeable future. We got to build a new one now. And we're probably going to build one either with Putin or whoever comes after Putin with a far more dangerous, far more desperate, far more paranoid Russia to deal with that's been wounded in their pride, which is what really bothers them. That's what sinks through to the Russian people. It, Putin cannot lose this war. If he starts to look like he's going to lose it, I think he unleashes all hell on Ukraine, which is what I'm fearful. Now, will the military revolt and not do it? That's a question. Um, will the will the will somebody on their side finally stand up and say, "No, enough, we're not doing this"? But Putin, Putin can't lose. And what metric and what dynamic that takes, that's going to be what we have to build the new European order out of. And you're, you're going to be building out of fire and blood and not peace and prosperity like we'd hoped. And that's just the facts. And speaking of the new European order, how do you think that the West, NATO, and the United States have been handling this so far? The way we always handle foreign policy this, this day and age, scattershot, no plan, no leadership. Um, Europe figured it out a little bit before us. God bless him. He really needed something because he was about ready to go down the scandal. So Boris Johnson's been all over this one because he lets him be a leader for a while. God bless his heart. Um, but he's he's doing the job. He's been out front. Mark Krohn tried to do it. He switched tones now. He's all on board with sanctions. Germany's a pain in the butt here. We got a couple dynamics with Germany going on. They don't want to do the financial transactions. Uh, Olaf Scholz has only been in power since late January, early February, I believe. Um, he's new to power. He's not Ang- Angela Merkel with with all her flaws and her horrible decisions on certain things. Um, Putin, she was one of the few people Putin actually had to think twice about on the world stage. She's not, <laughs> so there, was a, there was a great joke. It's like, can we have the Fast and Furious scene where they go out to the farm and get Angela Merkel? Like, we need you for a mission. Come back. Because um, at least Putin, Putin he, she scared Putin enough that he actually messed with her. Mm-hmm. And you understand people like dictators, they don't waste their time on people they're not afraid of. He would go out of his way to try to embarrass her and things like like he he actually fears her. Um, he doesn't fear Joe Biden. Sorry, truth. Um, he he doesn't really fear anybody on the world stage right now. And if he's gone into this bunker mentality, it's not even a fear thing. He's probably not even hearing any of it. I doubt. Like all that stuff about Munich's security. He didn't hear any of that. And if he did, he didn't care. That's silliness. Let's speak to America directly. Um, the president's press conference was an utter disaster. Uh, why in the world did they let him take questions? I'm not trying to be mean here, but the president's speech was okay. There was a couple 
couple of hiccups in it. Stop letting him. If he can't answer the questions, don't let him answer. Don't let him answer questions. I don't care if he wants to do it or not. Your job, your job, if you serve the president of the United States, is to serve the president of the United States. Don't put him in that position if he can't do it. All right. Anywho, uh, when the the press got pretty rowdy at that thing, if you mm-hmm. watched it, they wanted an answer why we weren't directly uh, sanctioning Vladimir Putin. And he just went deer in the headlights on it. And then lo and behold, last night late, I think about, I was sitting at Hooters with the family and my phone went off. I think about 637. Oh, we're going to sanction Vladimir Putin. Like, ah. yeah, go figure. When the optic, this, this administration is obsessed with optics. They only react to optics. They only react to politics. Foreign policy, we got into this with Cassandra yesterday on the show. You ought to go listen to it. Foreign policy is cohesion and consistency. We don't have either. And we don't have either on the horizon, and we don't have any leaders that can do either, I don't think, I fear. So Vladimir Putin rolls over the world because he has consistency and cohesion. China plans 50 years in advance on stuff. They've got coherency and cohesion. We're going to always be reactionary to the bad actors of the world if we don't have some coherent and consistent foreign policy. Now, part of that's our government system where we change leaders every four to eight years. I get that. Even still... We, we won the Cold War because whether we had a Democrat or Republican in the office, they understood that you have to win the Cold War. Now, they there was variations. I know that. Let's not get into all of that. I'm, I know it was an up and down thing. Overall, big picture, we, we would have never had a president of the United States during the Cold War that said, well, what we really need to do is just let Russia win the Cold War. That would have never happened. We need that at least that base level of like, hey, the bad guys lose and we win. Can we just get to that level on it? Because Vladimir Putin has not given you an option anymore. You give him what he wants or he's going to unleash violence. That's what he's told us with Ukraine now. So either the bad guy wins or the good guy wins. Which one do you want to do? And we need some black and white in our foreign policy with that. We need to put away childish sitting on the sharing rug at kindergarten nonsense like forever war. Shut up. The Ukraines just showed you that that's idiocy. Because at some point, all due respect to our pacifist friends, I love you, I respect your viewpoint, you have a right to be wrong, and I will defend your right to be wrong to the death. However, at some point, something bigger than you, badder than you, stronger than you is going to stand up in front of you and say, I'm going to impose my will on you, what are you going to do about it? And you better have an answer to that question, and it better not be a buzzword, because they'll do it, and they're going to choke the life out of you if you don't fight back. You better have that answer ready before they ask it, because once they ask it, there's a, I'm going to go on one more tirade here real quick just because the point. You have three options in world diplomacy. You prevent war, you fight a small war, or you fight a big war. Those are the only three options. We didn't prevent this war. We didn't fight the small one to stop it in Georgia and in Crimea when we should have fought those wars to stop it. So now we're going to have a big war about it. And if we're not careful, this is probably going to spiral into an even bigger war. But you're going to fight the war. War is inevitable. You will fight wars or you will be a subject. Those are the only two options. I hate to keep talking in black and whites, but this is just the facts of life. We didn't prevent this war. We didn't fight the smaller ones in Georgia and in Chechnya and in the Crimea. And by the way, the leader, the, the despicable, one of the worst human beings on the planet, leader of Chechnya, is now saying they're going to come fight. They're already there, by the way. This is propaganda. They're already been there. He's going to come and stand with Vladimir Putin and fight. Look, the monsters of the world are, are combining with Vladimir Putin. That should tell you something. You either fight the monsters or you're subjected to the monsters and whatever their whims are. And we just need to get out of this. I know we have an isolationist bin in America. Well, would you send your sons and die? Don't go to that shop with me, folks. You, you, you don't want to go there with me. Trust me. Yes, 
American lives are worth certain things. Ukrainian lives are worth certain things. French lives, British lives. Yes, your lives and your children's lives are worth certain things. What you need to do, I'm talking to everybody, I'm talking to myself, figure out what those things are worth fighting and dying and sending your children to fight and die for because there are some things in the world for that and you better set them in front of you now because the bad actors of the world are going to come and test that at some point. Figure it out ahead of time, not after they've invaded a sovereign country. All right, I'm done raining. I apologize. So, I mean, going back to um, Biden, I think one of the things, one of the things I wonder is, is that over the last 30 years, we've had leaders that in some ways didn't have to worry about a Cold War anymore. And so they've gotten soft, quote unquote, in a way. Do you think that this is going to change the nature of the presidency in the future? I'm going to say something really harsh here. And I direct it at myself and I direct it at everybody of every political party and everybody of every ideological bent. What Zelensky is doing to go back to that for a second. Mm -hmm. Are you electing a president to give you what you want? Or are you electing a president that can lead your nation? Mm. Are you electing a president that's going to give you what you want? Or are you electing a leader of our nation? If we got invaded and the most progressive liberal Democrat that there is stood on the steps of the White House with an M4 and say, let them come, we're not leaving, we'll fight them in the streets, whatever it takes, we're going to defend our country. Does his ideology mean one lick of anything in that moment? And the reverse is true. Can we please, I'm begging the country I love, can we start with, is this person a good functional human being as an adult and a member of America and a citizen first, before we get to the politics and the ideology when we elect people? We're doing this stuff so jack backwards that we want to put people in that agree with this ideology and we don't worry about whether they can do the job or not. Because we've got this false sense of security. The ultimate privilege of America is we get to pick and choose our problems on the world stage. And we've picked and choose our problems is, Oh, everything is domestic partisan politics. I need leader. I will happily vote for somebody of the other party if I think they can do the job and just be an effective leader. And if they do some ideological stuff, fine, we can fight about that because I have a system of government where we can raise those concerns as we go. But if you elect bad people who are incompetent or worse, corrupt and evil and wicked, and by the way, the corruption in Ukraine brought them to this point, just Zelensky happily has stood up to a lot of it. But Ukraine has horrible corruption, a lot of it Russian-influenced. Let's just put that out there as well. But they stood when it mattered. Maybe you should look at Zelensky and go back and look at who you're voting for and say, if the sky really does fall, is this who I want in charge? Not to let, We've elected two presidents in a row under the guise of lesser two evil. All due respect to Joe Biden and all due respect to Donald Trump. They got elected because the American people didn't want the other person in power. And I realized one of them was the same person, but hey, that's the world we live in. The American people didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. That's the only reason Donald Trump got elected, because he was the only other option. Joe Biden got elected president because people didn't want Donald Trump to be president anymore. That's it. Like we can, we, scripture has one interpretation of many applications. There's a lot of applications, but that's the interpretation. Let's quit electing the lesser of two evils and get some good people to run for office. Because at some point, there's going to be a crisis. There's going to be a Putin. There's going to be a China. There's going to be somebody that we can't do anything about. 
and they're going to make us make some hard decisions. And we better have leaders that can make those hard decisions. And we better have leaders that understand when you negotiate and when you fight. I, I got a lot of pushback on this, but it's the one tweet that I, I probably ought to pin it. I might get it tattooed on. You, you, you poor folks think peace is the absence of war. You're fools. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is the lulls between the wars because human nature is undefeated and there will always be wars. Peace is if you do your duty and you get a little bit lucky, is that time you get to enjoy having done the right thing to win the war. There is no peace without winning the wars against bad faith actors. There's subjugation. And subjugation will always lead to more wars because at some point people will fight back and push back and it's going to be even bloodier. You have to win the wars. I'm not talking about the foolish wars. I'm talking about the righteous ones. Ukraine has themselves a righteous war because this is as clear-cut and illegal invasion of a... Why they, if the IOC and these other... If they have anything shred of dignity, they need to declare Putin a war criminal right now, today, not later, not tomorrow, not after breakfast, now. He's a war criminal by the definition of law by launching a war of aggression. That's what he is now, and that should be his title from now until the day he dies. Why Why are we fiddling? Like, not to lose my bearing here, but look at all the crap we argued about online for the last six weeks before this happened. Is anybody talking about any of that stuff right now? No, because reality has once again set priorities for us of what matters and what doesn't, and leadership matters. And I don't want to hear when we elect a president or senator or the House of Representatives this year in the midterms. Let's elect people that can lead. Let's elect people who actually care about our country above other things. And I'm not just being Pollyannish. I understand they're still going to get theirs, but they can get theirs within the framework of what's good for the country because we're a big enough pluralistic country to do that. Zelensky is giving lie to the lies we tell ourselves about why we elect leaders. And I hope we learn the lesson of it. Um, going on to kind of where this all is headed, I mean, I think one of the people, one of the things that is concerning is, is this going to stop at Ukraine? Um, could it hit Poland? Could it, you know, hit the Baltics? And of course, once that happens, that gets NATO involved. Um, is it, is that kind of being too fanciful, thinking that this could get out of hand? Well, the, or polls is it... are, the polls are pumping. Of course, they have the border, so that's why they're so important. The polls are just pumping. Any, anything anybody wants to send, they're getting it across the Ukrainians. So they're putting their money in one There's a real underrated thing here we need to talk about real quick. You notice Finland creeps back in the news all of a sudden? Sweden. Yeah. This We talk about this stuff in the vacuum. Russia's got enemies. You don't think the Poles and the Finns who have been waiting 70 years to get them some of Russia wouldn't relish the chance to get a little payback. Putin better be careful here because Russia has a lot of enemies and they have a lot of enemies with really, I'm talking deep nationalistic Poland. They got a beef. You want to talk about having a beef? Finland stopped them cold. People oh, forget that little chunk of World War II. They, they don't want none of that. And both of them all of a sudden are like, no, screw you. We're going to help Ukraine. And Finland and Sweden are like, we'll just, well, we'll just join NATO now. Then, if you're going to be like that, like they've openly said that, like we'll we'll sign up right now, put us in NATO, we'll fight, we'll fight the Russian. Putin better be careful because Russia has a lot. And again, we're talking. I'm using Russia as the state. We have sympathy for the Russian people who don't have a lot of say over this. I want to be very careful 
make sure I say that part. I don't, we don't have a beef with the Russian people. We have a beef with the Russian leadership, but Russia, the country, they've made a lot of enemies over a lot of years. They still haven't, some of those countries like Poland still don't think they've paid for their cold war sins. Let's, you know, you can look that up on your own time. Uh, Ukraine, I, I, I'm about ready to every time somebody says, well, Ukraine provoked Russia. I'm going to be like, hold Screw you. Yeah. Um, Russia brought almost all this on themselves, and they've made a lot of enemies. They better be careful because the Polands of the world, the Finlands of the world, the Poles aren't scared of them. They're not. And there's parts of Poland, not that they want war because they don't want war, but there's parts of the Polish national identity, the ethnic identity of the Poles, that would be very, very happy to get them some of Vladimir Putin and Russia if it came right down to it because they feel like they've been disrespected and done wrong by them for decades. Putin better be really careful because NATO is kind of a farce right now. He may build something against him. That's even stronger and more ingrained than NATO is out of this thing. If he ain't real, real careful, I find hope in that. I find hope in what Poland's doing. I find hope in how Finland and Sweden have reacted. Um, there's a lot of human good being revealed in this hour of a lot of darkness and the way the Poles are conducting themselves, the way Finland's conduct. There's other countries too. I don't mean to just single them out. Um, we need to talk about, um, Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia, which have been absolute beacons to what a free market and a free people can do with a country. If you get your foot off their neck and let them be, be free economic, like any measurable, like success stories to what human freedom does for a country. You don't think they're looking at Russia right now? Like if, if he gets Ukraine, we're next because they are, he's basically said so. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of, those people deserve freedom too. The Ukrainian people deserve freedom. Um, and again, I'll just repeat it. Cause I, th- I think it's something not being to Putin. Putin doesn't understand what he's done here. He, he is no longer just something to be tolerated. He is something on the world stage that has to be fought against. And if the Western media hadn't figured it out yet, Poland's figured it out, Finland's figured it out, because that's ingrained into their history that Russia will attack us at some point. So they believe him, and they're acting like they believe him. Do you think that this is going to, you know, I in the article that you were referencing that I wrote, there are going to be a lot of changes happening because of this event, um, especially, I think, on the economic realm. And we're starting to see some of that. Do you think that that's going to um, continue or is it going to strengthen? And who's going to lead that? My fear is that this is going to be a new order that is not led by America at least initially. Now, of course, at some point we have to be involved in everything because we're, you know, we're, we are who we are. Um, with all due respect to President Biden, he has been feckless and wrong on foreign policy for his entire career. He, he, he's terrible at it. He's not good at it. Um, we have absolutely the worst possible pre- Well, I won't say that because Trump's utterly incompetent, but we have we have a not good president in office for for the task at hand for rebuilding the the world order in Europe. Remember, the only reason Europe had peace this long is because we parked ourselves in the middle of it and deemed it to be so with the full backing of the United States military. Um, I hope 
to be fair, Europe has been too reliant on the U.S. military. Um, as as big a proponent as I am, and they they got they got fat, dumb, and lazy sitting behind American military hardware because they knew they were protected. So in a in a teenage tough love, at some point you got to make the kid go out and and learn what it's like to work a job kind of deal. Maybe Europe, this will be the wake up call of we need to take care of our own defense. We need to take self defense seriously. We need to take our alliances seriously. I hope that happens. I hate that it took America um, abstaining from their responsibility to do that. But in the long run, it would be healthier for Europe if they're not completely dependent on America. That doesn't mean we're not allies with them. But um, they got fat, dumb, and happy that they didn't have to do any defense spending and they didn't have to take the military seriously because they knew they had us to hide behind. I think that reality has sunk in. And now the the leader of the Bundeswehr, the the German National Guard, for lack of a better way to explain it, he's like, my cupboard... <laughs> His exact quote was, my cupboard's empty. I got nothing to fight a war with right now. That's shocking from a country with the military, and I understand the Nazis were a bad, I, I get that, with a long uh, military tradition that they can't even field an effective force right now. That's that's shocking. Um, I think this would be healthy in the long term if Europe looks at this and goes, okay, we've got to take self-defense seriously and we got to take integrated defense of Europe seriously. I'm not a huge fan of the EU. However, it is what it is. If they start taking um, some kind of accountability for their own, I think that's good in the long run. Uh, as far as America goes, you know, once again, we're building a real good reputation of not helping our friends out when they need it lately. Afghanistan really hurt... If we don't fail in Afghanistan, this Ukraine thing doesn't happen. It's just that simple. Um, Putin sensed weakness and attack. Now, I think he thought Ukraine was going to fall like Afghanistan because I think he really does these idiot right-wingers in America talking about Ukraine is not a state-sponsored. No, they're not. Yes, we help them, but they're not. They're an independent country. This is not Afghanistan. I think Putin probably really thought he'd, he'd just sweep it in a couple of days like the Taliban did. It's completely different circumstances. But once again... Um, and it's the, the real indictment that damns America's way of doing things right now is we had the intelligence since at least November that we're admitting, which means we probably had it months before that. You know, President Biden said it. We've known since November he's going to invade. The, we, we got the intelligence right this time, and we still screwed it up because intelligence without having an actual plan and some leadership is worthless. Um, the president and the administration did nothing to prepare for this. We could have uparmed Ukraine to a level where at least Putin probably would have thought twice about it. We could. Why? I I will never understand again the bully thing. Well, we can't sanction the bully because he might hit us. Well, he hits you anyway. Maybe you should have sanctioned him ahead of time, making him think twice about hitting you. So we can do all that in the postmortems um, because the Ukrainians are fighting and right now. We need to just support the Ukrainians while they're fighting and dying and try to keep them alive. Um, yeah, the new world order is going to be a scary one. It's going to be one with a diminished America, at least in the near term. It's going to be one with a vastly destabilized, wounded, and angry Russia. It's going to be one, I think Belarus will destabilize again now. Um, Russia has been probing into a lot of other countries. We'll have to see what happens with them. Russia's propping up other countries. What happens in Syria now if Russia ain't there to prop up Assad? Um, what happens in places like... Um, Libya, where Russia had pretty much de facto taken over the country. There's going to be a lot of ramifications for this. We're not going to know for a couple of years, probably. And almost all of those ramifications are bad. But uh, silver lining, if the Europeans start taking their own defense seriously, and the Poles do, Hungary does, um, 
these other countries and I got my issues with Orban, but they, you know, mm-hmm. they take their, they take their territorial <laughs> integrity seriously. God bless them. Uh, if that comes out of this, that could be a positive because they're going to need it. Cause whatever comes after Putin's not going to be good either. So one of the things that has been talked about a lot is of course, been, you know, should Ukraine have been part of NATO? Should the Ukraine have been part of the EU going forward? Um, if Ukraine is able to kind of pull this out, what should be the relationship of the Western nations to Ukraine um, to kind of basically say that we have their back? The the thing with NATO is because NATO has Article 5, which is if you attack one, you attack all. It's an automatic treaty-infused war. This is exactly why they didn't want Ukraine in the NATO, because they Mm -hmm. figured at some point Russia was going to try to take them back just to be fair to the other argument of it. Here's the thing. NATO treaty or not, you cannot allow countries to invade other sovereign countries. That never ends well, and it always snowballs into other things. Never in the history ever has a country invaded another sovereign country, and it just stopped there. It's always had repercussions. So it should be a pretty basically known fact that you cannot invade other countries or there will be consequences, and those consequences have to be severe enough that it dissuades the worst people in the world from ever trying it. We didn't do that here, and we see what happens. Again, I hate to go back to it. America's word's just not worth a whole lot in the, in the world right now. It's just not. We've, we abandon allies. We don't have a coherent foreign policy. We don't have a consistent foreign policy. Um, our leadership as of late has not been inspiring confidence on the world stage. That's Trump included because nobody knew what he was going to do at any given time. That's bad. Um, and frankly, he didn't care about foreign policy unless it directly affected him and couldn't be bothered to learn about it. Um, Biden knows about it, draws all the wrong conclusions and does things wrong, but at least he, you know, semi knows what's going on in the world. I think he can find Ukraine on a map at least. Um, But, you know, here we are in this big circle again, Dennis. If you don't have good leadership and you don't have accountable government, nothing else works. And nowhere else is it more catastrophic for things to not work well than foreign policy. Because there's wars involved. There's innocent people that need to be defended. There's, there, there's real-world consequences to us having an unaccountable government. I talked about this on the show yesterday. I wrote about it way back when Afghanistan fell. I wrote in Diplomatic Courier about this. After Vietnam, the U.S. military did the soul-searching, did the hard stuff, completely rebuilt its stuff from the ground up, learned the lessons, and remade itself into what was in the 90s and the 2000s and even, in, you know, inarguably the greatest military in the, the world has ever seen. Our government didn't do that, though. There was no soul-searching. There was no retooling. Um, And we still haven't done it. And 40 years later, 50 years later, we've gotten worse. And we still haven't done any soul-searching. At what point do we reset our government of what we're doing is not working? And it's not working to catastrophic consequences abroad. And now we're seeing it domestically with, look, I know there's bad faith actors, you cannot tell me the political unrest and dissension in America doesn't start and have a foothold in the fact that we've had incompetent government for decades on decades on decades. That's the root cause of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. If people feel their government's accountable, they're not as disgruntled. They'll yell, they'll holler. I'm talking about the real wicked. We need to overthrow our like that stuff comes from government incompetence or at least a perception of government incompetence and worse government corruption, which we have plenty of too. If we don't root out corruption and incompetence in our government, you're begging for stuff like that to happen. You're opening the door to those bad faith actors because now they're going to take that 10% legitimate beef and blow it up into a hundred percent mess. So we need to take care of our own house here. 
because it does affect foreign policy. And we are in such a weakened position right now that we have limited, you know, I talked about this yesterday. We have limited options because we put ourselves in a position to have limited options. So at some point we need to say, why did we have limited options? Let's get into that. But that takes a self-reflective, serious people. And I don't know if we're there yet because usually you have to have the dead cap bounce off rock bottom to get there. And I pray we don't because that would be catastrophic for America and be catastrophic for the world. How do you think that this changes the uh, Ukrainian people? Uh, if they survive it, it will harden them. Uh, this will put an end to Ukrainian national identity forever. They got it now. Um, mm-hmm. They have their moment. They have their they have their great patriotic war to steal something from the Russians. Um, they have their heroes. They have their <laughs> ethos. They have their legends. They have their myths. To, you know, a, a people's identity is their myths and their legends and their history. Boy, they got it. If if they can pull this off, they've got it forever for generations. They've got their national identity now. We're the ones that stopped Putin. We're the ones that fought, you know, our, our Ukrainian mothers with their babies on the hips and their Kalashnikov rifles beat back. The, that's powerful stuff, man. That's powerful stuff. If they pull this off and they can hold off against Putin, they that's the end of Ukraine talk. That's the end of Ukraine not being a real country. That's the end of them having any kind of national identity crisis. They are forged in fire, and they will be a force to be reckoned with. And God bless them. I hope that happens, and they can rebuild their country. People forget Ukraine's a big country, landmass wise. Mm-hmm. They're huge. They're almost as big as the rest of. They're almost as big as Western Europe, if I recall right. They might be a little mm-hmm. bit bigger. They have vast agricultural resources. They're the breadbasket of the Soviet Union for a reason. They have vast um, uh, fossil fuel and other resources. They have great ports. If you give them Crimea back, but let's not rehash all that. They have access to trade. They are at this crossroads of the world in Eastern Europe. Um, they have a lot going for them if they have a national identity. And, and we now know they got some national leadership, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can beat back the Russians, they, they're on their way um, to being a real country that can not only be a force, they, they can be a country they can be proud of. And you can, you can build a lot of country out of people that are proud of themselves. Um, now, that... Again, it's early, and I think Russia hasn't unleashed their worst on them yet, so we'll see if they hold up. But if they pull this off, yeah, that's that's the end of Ukraine ain't a real country forever. Like, nobody's going to listen to that anymore because they proved it. I hope that's the case. I hope we ally with them. I hope we get as close to them as we can. Uh, I know the president's already talked about a massive aid package to them as soon as they have to hold it off till the conflict's over, obviously, because you don't want to send it in there and the Russians get a hold of it. As soon as this conflict is over, we should write them a real big fat check. And and I yes, I know I'm a I'm a deficit hawk, but some thumbs and things you spend. Uh, I think the package is some. We've already sent them about a, over a billion dollars in aid. Mm-hmm. I think it's about a six billion dollar package they're talking about for rebuilding. They're going to need every bit of it. Um, we don't have to go full Marshall Plan because Europe needs to foot the bill on this because they made this mess. Frankly, I think Ukraine could come out of this looking very very strong. The flip side of that is they're still going to have to deal with Russia. This is just going to really even more ingrain the bad actors in Russia that Ukraine has wronged them. So they'll that'll never go away. But I I'm cautiously optimistic, as the doctors say, right before they kill you with the cure, before the disease gets you. I I'm cautiously optimistic if they can pull this off. Um, Ukraine has a national identity that will serve them well in the years to come. I think that's my hope anyway. That's my prayer. How do you think this changes the Russian nation? They're screwed. Um, they have destabilized their own country no matter what happens here. Putin is in a bunker mentality, which never, ever ends well. Um, Putin has lost touch with reality. 
Um, he's in a circle with his yes men. He is not going to deal. This is already a failure, by the way. Even if he crushes Ukraine, the, his 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 raison d'etat, or however you say that in French, was um, we're going to go in to liberate. If he has to level Kiev, that that doesn't hold up anymore. So he's already lost. Um, again, he can't win here. How does he react to that? I don't know, but it's all bad. Everything that happens with Russia from this point on is bad before it gets better. Uh, Russia is destabilized. I think Belarus will destabilize. I think the Russian client states are going to destabilize because Russia is going to have to turn internally to, to deal with the fallout of this, and they're not going to have their perspective on the war. Also, uh, we already talked about it. With them cut off from the financial markets, they're going to they're going to be financially dependent on China. China is a predatory lending. They don't lend you money because they're nice. They're lending you money because they want to control you. Um, China is very happy to open their wheat exports. We read about yesterday. Um, from Russia. They're going to buddy up to Russia financially so that they have the Kremlin on a rope to control them because they're actually they're not allies. No matter how much they cooperate, they're not allies. They are adversaries and they want they want their biggest regional adversary that borders them on a nice tight leash. They're going to have that now. So that's going to embolden China worldwide because now they're they don't have to worry about their back door for a good long time because they're going to have Russia under their thumb. So massive consequences to Russia. And let's let's be clear here. Under all this, the Russian people are going to suffer greatly. They're going to suffer economically. They have a madman who's had his ego bruised on the world stage to deal with. Uh, the oligarchy that controls him is is uh, still don't care about them one little bit while they have their hundreds of billions of dollars of yachts parked in Spain and elsewhere. Why we haven't seized those yet, I don't know. Get on that, folks. You really want those oligarchs to move. Start taking their toys. They don't like that. Um, strip Abram off of Chelsea. You want to get somebody's attention, that'll do it. And I like Chelsea. That's a football reference mm -hmm. for you folks in Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, people uh, in Minneapolis know. We are I know. That was, that was an inside joke for people that aren't soccer fans. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, Russia, this is going to change Russia permanently. And whatever post-Cold War Putinist Russia was going to be, that has now changed. Uh, I don't see any good coming out of Russia from this. I think this is going to be the top of the drop for some really ugly stuff in Russia. We haven't, we kind of tangentially talked about this other actor kind of sitting off on the side, but, and that's China. Um, and um, China is watching this. Yes. Are they watching this thinking about Taiwan? Indubitably. Um, they're always thinking about Taiwan. Taiwan is their Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the way Putin sees it. He's like, they've done us wrong. They are the boil on our great success. We got to get rid of them. Taiwan's a little different because they're an island. Um, they're also a nationally recognized. I know some people haven't read, but internationally they are recognized as a country. You're talking about an amphibious assault. Uh, they are very well armed, but obviously, you know, again, logistics win wars. Like they could attack them. Can they hold it? Can they sustain an amphibious operation against the Taiwanese people fighting in their back? Remember, this ain't open. If you put the Russian army in an open field against anybody else's armor, they're going to hold up pretty well. That's not the war they're fighting. They're going to have to go in these cities, and these people are going to fight from their apartment balconies. This, and the Russian army, it's massive in numbers. It's not great in morale. It's horrible at logistics, and it's not really built for what they're trying to do with it. They, they're built to you know fight the old wars of the 70s, and that's not what you've got going on. Now, their new military doctrines, I don't want to bore people with this. I've been reading about, a lot about their doctrinal military doctrine lately. It doesn't fit real well into what they're doing here. They're trying to do 
a deep strike and hold. We already saw where the Ukrainians kind of beat that back at the airports and stuff. You you go in, you take an air airfield or an airhead, and then you you dump troops in there again. Their logistics suck. Somebody online the other is like, well, they're going to put ten thousand troops on this airfield in the next six hours. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like I I I worked the air assault of of Bagram. Okay, no, we couldn't do that. <laughs> we could do it in about nine, ten or twelve hours, but. Like, I was like, you, you, you have no idea how this stuff works. Russia, Russia doesn't have that kind of capability. They can't do that kind of stuff. They're going to try. Um, and again, uh, Mike Tyson, the sage wisdom uh, from Yonkers, everybody's got to play until they're punched in the mouth, until you got Ukrainians sniping at you from every balcony and every roadway and every intersection. And they, you just get bled when you're in a foreign country and you're the occupying force or the invading force. They're sniping at you constantly. You've got to, you, the onus is on you to do everything. And the Russians just are not, re, their army is really not built for what they're going to have to do to subjugate Ukraine. And I think it's sitting, I think it's starting to sink in now because either you have to mass assault Kiev and take it and level the whole freaking city or big parts of it to take it, or you're not taking it because the Ukrainians aren't leaving. Like they're digging in, they're, they're arming and digging in. They're like, no, you're going to come and take this and you're going to kill all of us to do it. Putin's evil enough to do that. Let's be clear out about that. Is the people surrounding him and would the military follow that order? I don't know. I hope not. That's the debate right now. Uh, China is watching all this. China is giddy. China's love. Xi Jinping is just happy as Pooh getting his honeypot because he hates that term. You know, Zinni the Pooh. That's why Winnie the Pooh's banned in China, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zinni the Pooh's sitting up there with his honeypot just loving this because that's one less thing he's got to worry about for the next 20, 30 years. He doesn't have to worry about Russia now. He's going to have him on a leash. It will embolden him towards Taiwan. It will embolden him towards the Silk Road. By the way, they're, they're not real happy with Russia, too, because Ukraine was one of the early adapters of the Silk Road stuff. Because they they were they saw that as a buffer and didn't work out for them. Um, there there's a lot of moving parts, but but China got smart. They figured out they're not going to do this with tanks like Putin's trying to do it. They're doing it through predatory lending. They're doing it economically. Um, so they're they're getting set up in a really prime position on the world stage because their one other regional power they got to worry about is now lessened, and America, which is their true adversary, is lessened. Um, they're sitting pretty today, man. They're happy as can be. Hmm. Well, last question, because I know you have to run, is one of the ways that people have described Russia is a gas station with nuclear weapons. Um, what does, however Russia deals with Ukraine, what does that mean for the rest of the world dealing with a Russia that has, for good, has probably become a more unstable? let's back up because the Minsk agreement is, was one thing to kick this off is the, the international order kind of wanted Ukraine to give up their Soviet nuclear weapons. That's where a lot of start. Now people have overblown it a little bit because they're like, well, they should have never gave up their nukes. And that's true. Most of well, part of that though, was a lot of these nuclear weapons were either non workable or needed care or needed maintaining. And the Ukrainians just couldn't do it and didn't want to deal with it. So they gave them up. So, but yeah, if Ukraine had nuclear weapons, no, Vladimir Putin would not attack them probably, or he would attack them only under the assurance of them not nuking each other. I, I hate to discuss this, but we have to go there. If you got a madman involved, he's going to lose Ukraine. Would he light a nuke off in Ukraine? I, 
man, I want to say I doubt it, but there's that nine, that that one percent in my brain of Putin's an evil, wicked person that's lost his mind and he wants revenge. Yeah, he might do it. Um, would they do something smaller scale? Uh, would they? Somebody said, would they rupture the sarcophagus at Chernobyl? Well, Chernobyl's already in an exclusion zone, so that really wouldn't do anything. But yeah, I could see him doing a propaganda thing like that. Sure. Um, would they use small? We already know that this in Syria that chemical weapons were used, and they denied it, and the Russians helped them cover it up because they were using Russian chemical weapons. Let's. <laughs> Sorry, Glenn Greenwald, that happened. Deal with it. Um, that'll fill my troll box up for the next month. Um, yeah. Do they do they go to some really ugly stuff in Ukraine? Do they do they suppress the civilian population? Do they go uh, weapons of mass destruction of some form? There's reports they've already burned through all their precision guided munitions, which I believe, by the way, because they can only make so many of those. If they're shooting rockets inside of Kiev that are not controlled rockets, that tells me their their precision guided munitions are already gone, which is shocking. But they there's only people don't understand the burn rate when you're in combat. I promise you the first 30 round 30 rounds in a magazine sounds like a lot until the first time you're in combat and you slap the trigger and you're scared out of your mind and it's gone. Mm. Time to reload. Like that fat. Like you just don't understand the burn rate of munitions under fire when people are scared and it's real life combat situations. Um uh, I can't do it. I can't say he wouldn't do it. And God help us that we're in a position where we have to do that. But do we know that for a fact? Like like one of these underlings that are just completely ate up with Russian nationalism, if they got their hands on a, on chemical weapons or a nuke, would... Remember, nukes aren't just like the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. The Russians have tactical nukes. They have artillery shells. They have tank shells that are nuclear-tipped. You know, does some local guy get a hold of one of those and light it off? I don't know, man. I pray to God they don't. But then, then we then we got a whole nother conversation because now we have a world order that's weakened that now has the whole thing. A lot of those people that were we have to tolerate the bully in Vladimir Putin was we have to tolerate him because he has nukes. Number one, that's a bad premise because you just admitted he can do whatever he wants because he has nukes. So you need a you need a new premise. Number two, if he actually lights one off, now what are you going to do? Uh, it's a can of worms that we had hoped in our lifetimes we would never have to open. But he has that can, and he has the can opener. If he goes there, we're going to have to deal with it, and let's just pray to God that we do not have to go there. Is that something, if he if he gave the order for nuclear weapons, would the military revolt? Would the oligarchy revolt? You know, these are all questions we don't have answers to, and damn Vladimir Putin for being a genocidal madman that we don't have clarity. There's been a lot of bad actors in the world that we had clarity that even though they were despicable human beings doing unspeakable things to other human beings, we had clarity they wouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. Right. And we ma- managed to maintain order with really bad people in charge of countries because of that. We don't have that with Vladimir Putin right now. And the more isolated and the more he fails and the more scared he gets, God knows what he might do. We'll just have to see, my friend. And we'll have to leave it there. Um, Andrew, thank you. I know that you have to run, but um, this has been <laughs> a really good um, discussion about where things are at right now in the world. Yeah, I hate to end on that note because we always try to add a lot of stuff in there. But uh, take hope in this. The human the human spirit is alive and well in Ukraine. So hold on to that. We're seeing a lot of courage, a lot of really good, um, epic, historically epic bravery and courage from people. Make sure you're amplifying that. Let's not get into doom scrolling like Putin's going to win. Nothing's for sure. 
And there's a lot of good people doing a lot of brave things to make sure that the evil people don't win. We need to highlight that. We need to use our platforms in the West to highlight that. Um, and we're not going to quit talking about it, buddy, your show and my show and wherever. Um, let's highlight human bravery because evil always is defeated by the bravery of the good. And I see a lot of bravery of the good right now. So we're going to take hope in that. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we will definitely talk again soon. And we'll do it again when we have more time. I apologize. I can't give you longer. And I want to have you on Hertel again. You always do great work, my friend. I appreciate you. And uh, anytime, thrilled to talk to you, my friend. All right. Take care. Thanks. talking about the video that uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made. Andrew was right that Zelensky really is sending a message to American leaders that playtime is over. You know, throughout the Cold War, we had presidents and senators and representatives that were serious people. They were serious leaders. For the most part, they were level-headed because that was what the times needed when a wrong move could have sent missiles flying, you could not afford to deal with clowns. The end of the Cold War brought with it men and women who weren't as serious. And on one level, that's okay. But it also feels like at times we've went too far. We went from leaders of stature like Kennedy and Reagan and ended up with Donald Trump. When bombs started to fall on Kyiv and other Ukrainian cities, it became incredibly clear that it was no longer time to play around, if ever there was a time to play around. Our nation has always needed serious leaders, but right now we need them even more because we cannot afford to take a chance on someone who does not take the office of president seriously. And the same goes with Congress. Both parties have elected less than serious leaders as of late, but it's the Republican Party that has gone farther in choosing people that feel that they don't have to take their elected offices seriously at all. But if we're dealing with an emboldened Russia as well as a powerful China, we really don't have the time for idiots taking pictures with guns or attending what amounts to a Klan rally. We need to look into things like spending more for defense and more for diplomacy and also working to shore up commitments with our allies. The Republican Party especially has to decide if it wants to be a party made for grown-ups. Because if they choose to act like nothing's changed, if they still want to act like a bunch of clowns, then that decision will be made for them come November. The world just got a lot scarier. President Zelensky's actions in the last few days have set the standard for political leaders around the world, and especially here in America. Are our leaders willing to step up?
But before we conclude, just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And YouTube especially, um, please consider uh, subscribing. We are trying to put um, basically the podcast on YouTube, but we're also hopefully trying to do some other things um, video-wise that I hope will be interesting. Um, so just stay tuned. And But uh, in the meantime, um, subscribe. Uh, the links are in the show notes. And if you want to, you can visit us at enroutepodcast.org. Uh, there's always some additional material um, on on recent podcast episodes, so please consider going there. And if you have a question or comment, I would really love if you drop me a line, and I really mean that. I would like to get some feedback from, from you all. Um, and you can send that to reverendpodcasts, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave a rating or review, and I would love if you could leave a five-star rating on your podcast app. Um, so if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, if you can do that, that would be great. Um, I know Spotify now has ways that you can uh, leave a review. Please uh, do so, because that makes it a lot easier for people to find this podcast. And I think that this is, well, I do say so myself, <laughs> that this is an important podcast um, that I think people should be listening to. And I hope that you do too. Um, and also, I do want to say, um, if you can uh, give a dollar, give $2, uh, that would be helpful. Um, there is a link in uh, the show notes to, to donate. Um, your donations basically go to help uh, cover some of the cost of putting together this podcast. It isn't really, you do have to pay something to get a podcast up. And I want to continue to put up uh, interesting episodes for, for everyone to hear. So if you can, um, please consider uh, donating something, donating a dollar, donating two, whatever you feel like. Go to the, um, the link in the description. It gives you two, two options where either you can give a one-time donation or if you wanted to do a subscription where you give so much every month, you can do that as well. So that is it for this episode of En Route, the podcast that is at the intersection of Church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care. Godspeed. And we will see you soon.